It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Tonight on The Readout. UAW, you saved the automobile industry back in 2008 and before. Made a lot of sacrifices. Gave up a lot. And the companies were in trouble. But now they're doing incredibly well. And guess what? You should be doing incredibly well, too. President Biden makes an historic visit to a Michigan UAW picket line as Donald Trump, an imposter pretending to be a friend of organized labor, gets ready to speak to auto workers tomorrow. People he's never raised a finger to help. Also tonight, a major legal blow to Trump as a judge rules that he committed fraud for years, exaggerating his net worth and massively overvaluing his assets. Plus, last week's Who Won the Week winner, Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman, joins me on the Republicans' government shutdown threat, the growing calls for Senator Bob Menendez to step down, and much, much more. And we begin tonight with an historic day with President Joe Biden, Union Joe, doing something no sitting president has ever done, walking a picket line. Biden joined striking United Auto Workers in Michigan today, a big effing deal in Biden speak, to close out what's been a summer of labor. More on that a little later in the show. What's also a huge deal is the potential government shutdown in just four days. The Senate is working on a short-term measure to buy Congress more time until mid-November, while nominal House Speaker Kevin McCarthy tries to find a way to placate his MAGA fringe. The same fringe that Donald Trump is ordering to shut down the government unless they get everything they want. And what do they want? Weirdly enough, it's the same things he wants. To cut off the funding to his least favorite country and first impeachment cause, Ukraine, to help Russia win the war. And to defund the special counsel who's prosecuting Trump. Weird how those things line up. It's a typically self-serving position for the twice impeached, four times indicted former president to play political games with the economic survival of the American people. And a stark reminder of just how dangerously unfit he is to serve and what he would do if he were to return to the White House, reinforced by his other recent threats, like threatening to execute outgoing Joint Chiefs Chairman Mark Milley. General Milley's offense, you'll recall, was making a phone call to reassure China following the siege on the U.S. Capitol by Trump supporters on January 6, 2021. In fact, in a recent profile, Milley said he presumed Trump would come after him if he were put back in the White House. Trump's former defense secretary, Mark Esper, said Milley's concerns are a legitimate fear and that Trump would likely throw his perceived political enemies in jail if elected again. Underscoring the danger of reelecting a mob boss with a Secret Service escort, a Georgia judge has ordered the names of jurors in the election interference case against Trump be kept secret until the trial ends. All very serious, screaming red flags about the dangers that he poses to our democracy and to individual Americans. And last night, that danger was amplified by someone who saw it firsthand. The January 6th committee's star witness, former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson, in her first live interview with my friend Rachel Maddow. 
this year has been a, has helped me open my eyes to the dangers that Trump actually poses on people in these situations. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the only one. And I, I wish I could say I'd be the last person, but unfortunately I won't. And that's that's what he does to people that he thinks that speak out against him or, or that detract from him. And it's one of the more dangerous things about Donald Trump, too. This is something we've seen time and time again, and it, we, it shouldn't have to be like this. Hutchinson, who maintains she's still a Republican, said she belongs to a different party than the current MAGA gang led by Trump. And she called for more Republicans to join her in speaking out ahead of the next election. We all want the republic to survive. We all should want the republic to survive. Um, but in the way that, that Mr. Trump's trajectory currently is going, you know, I'm not confident that he will have it survive. I do not believe that Mr. Trump is a strong Republican. But in this next election cycle, it's, in my opinion, it's the make or break moment for the Republican Party. We're talking about a man who, at the very essence of his being, almost destroyed democracy in one day, and he wants to do it again. For now, MAGA Republicans are choosing the break it option when it comes to efforts to fund the government, siding with their Mar-a-Lago boss over their supposed leader in the House, Speaker McCarthy with Matt Gates as the leader of the shutdown brigade, basically a band of radicals holding out with Trump cheering them on. Gates reportedly told McCarthy that he had a list of members who'd oppose anything McCarthy put forward, calling them immovable. Meaning, in plain English, Kevin McCarthy can either get right-wingers on board, which he's trying to do by floating massive cuts to the social safety net, like kicking a million low-income families off nutrition aid, slashing home heating aid by 70% just before winter, and cutting school lunch assistance by 80%, all to appease his MAGA detractors. Or he could team up with Democrats and keep the government open, which would likely trigger a no-confidence vote also led by Gates, which could cost him his precious speaker's gavel. What a box to be in. So with half of the House of Representatives currently a non-functioning puddle of chaos, Americans have until Saturday night for Congress to figure out a plan to keep the lights on. Joining me now is Charlie Sykes, MSNBC contributor and editor-at-large of The Bulwark, and Sahil Kapoor, NBC News senior national political reporter. And Sahil, I do want to go to you first. You're on the Hill. What is the state of play? How close are they to getting anything like a deal to keep the government open? Well, Joy, there are two very different states of play in the Senate and in the House. In the Senate, they are moving forward with a bipartisan bill to keep the government open on a short-term basis. The vote was just clocked in at 77 to 19. They voted to proceed with this. They still have a ways to go before it's passed. But the details of this bill are, uh, I'll say it briefly, it keeps the government open until November 17th on a short-term basis at existing levels. There are about $6 billion in uh, economic and military aid to Ukraine. There's about $6 billion additional in uh, disaster relief funds, and it also extends the FAA's programs and authorities through the end of the year. That also expires at the end of this month if there is no agreement. That's the Senate side. They're in good shape to pass this bill. Unclear if they'll do it by the Saturday deadline because uh, some Republican senators could object to a speedy vote, but they are in good shape to pass it. In the House, it's a very, very different situation. Speaker McCarthy is trying to corral his Republicans to decide what their opening bid should be. They're still fighting over what they should start 
start with in terms of uh, how to negotiate with the Senate, which they still are going to have to do. They're going to have to get it through the Democratic-controlled Senate. They're going to have to get President Biden, a Democrat, to sign it. And they're still at loggerheads over how they proceed. McCarthy's hardliners want a steep series of cuts, some of which you just described, uh, which he's struggling to get through the House of Representatives in his narrow majority. Some of them also say they will not vote under any circumstances to fund the government on a short-term basis, which leaves him in a serious jam. He either funds the government with the help of some Democrats and averts a shutdown, or uh, he keeps his job. And for now, he's chosen to try to keep his job. He's trying to get these bills through, uh, these appropriations bills through the House. Even if he does that, he's still stuck with this question of whether or not to pass a short-term funding bill. Four days to go, and uh, it's going to be a pretty wild ride, I think, Joy. Uh, One moment to say with you just a moment, Sahil. Um, There has been people like Catherine Clark, who is the the vote counter, she's the the, the House whip uh, on the minority side, has kind of talked about what the price would be of Democrats actually coming to the table and helping. One of the things would be to end the impeachment inquiry. Um, What is the Democratic side saying about what price they would exact from Kevin McCarthy if they've got to provide him the votes to pass a bill? Right. And this uh, question keeps coming up because uh, the way people like Matt Gates are, are saying a motion to vacate to try to overthrow McCarthy is all but inevitable in the foreseeable future. And Democrats will have a choice to make. Do they support the motion to vacate the speaker's chair, which as the party in, uh, you know out of power, the minority party would always do that. They would not support a Republican speaker. But Democrats are now discussing amongst themselves whether they should even entertain this idea. And Joy, I got to say, I'm very, very skeptical. This sounds like an episode uh, you know, of, of the West Wing, not something that happens in reality for Democrats to vote to basically protect McCarthy's job and keep a Republican speaker, they would be risking a primary for themselves. That doesn't play well in even competitive districts. And also Democrats want a whole series of demands from from McCarthy, at least according to the sources I'm speaking to, that he is never going to provide because it would further weaken him with his Republican conference to the point of untenability. They want him to let go of the impeachment inquiry into President Biden, which, by the way, has its first hearing uh, later on this week. They want him to... uh, pursue bipartisan government funding levels. And in the words of one aide I talked to, stop letting the crazies run the House. Is McCarthy going to do all of that and keep the support of the conservative base? It's exceedingly unlikely. Democrats, if they try to go down this route, they only might, they might just be hastening his, you know, his departure uh, from, uh, from the speakership. Okay, I, I'm not Lawrence O'Donnell, but I'm just going to say this is not the West Wing. This is a stupid West Wing. Uh, Charlie, I'm going to bring you in on this. I'm not going to make Zion call. I'm going to let you comment on this. This is the stupid one. This is stupid. Because the reality is Kevin McCarthy cannot, from what Zion's excellent reporting has told me, exactly. Charlie, is that he cannot avoid the motion to vacate no matter what. Uh, he's out there right now trying to blame President Biden, saying, uh, let, let me just play him. This is Kevin McCarthy trying to make himself sound like he's somewhat in charge of something because he's not. <laughs> Here it is. All the president has to do is say, you know what? As one of my fundamental jobs as the president of the United States is to secure a border. So that's not secure. That border is not secure. Secure that border and we'll be able to keep it all open and keep it all working. Are you willing to shut down the government if you do not get border security deal? Let's be very clear. It would not be on us. Charlie, 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 Charlie. Yeah. There is what? not a deal. Joe Biden could actually build the wall somehow over the Rio Grande and get Mexico to pay for it. And they would still kick Kevin McCarthy out of the speakership because Matt Gates is running for governor of Florida and kicking the speaker out of his seat and being in charge instead of Kevin McCarthy is part of his campaign. There is nothing. Kevin, and that border thing is just B.S. What is happening? 
What a fine mess Kevin McCarthy has made. Look, Kevin McCarthy has has a choice to make uh, to keep the country um, running, uh, to keep the government open or to protect his speakership. And as we know, Kevin McCarthy will opt to protect his speakership. But this was inevitable when he empowered the lunatics. And, uh, you know, when he made one, you know, one compromise after another. You know, it's interesting. He's talking about the fundamental responsibilities of the president. One of the fundamental responsibilities of Congress is to keep the lights on. Yes. And he's not doing it. But what's really extraordinary, you know, and listen. Listening to the, to the breakdown of all of this is what is this shutdown about? Uh, the executive vice president of the Chamber of Commerce, which is a Republican-leaning organization, says he's thinking of this as the Seinfeld shutdown because it's a shutdown about nothing. Because there's no end game, they're not going to get what they want. The, at a certain point, this is for people like Matt Gates. The fight is about the fight, keeping it going. Um, the more chaos he creates, the better it is for him, no matter how much damage he does to the country. And you're seeing what Kevin McCarthy is willing to do. I mean, Kevin McCarthy is willing. I mean, his his speakership hangs by a thread from Mar-a-Lago. He knows what Donald Trump can do uh, with him. And he knows that he has to make one concession after another. But it's never enough because the point is not to be a governing party for people like Matt Gates. It's to create as much. Uh, it, it is to create as chaos uh, as as possible to exact as much pain the fact that he's willing to go along with the the very online extremists in his caucus and cut the kinds of programs that you just listed you you have to wonder at what point do the moderates in the caucus say to hell with this we're not going to go along with all of this but uh, i don't see how this ends well for kevin mccarthy and unfortunately the rest of us are being held hostage as well and, and i mentioned the things that they would be doing to the working poor in this country cutting nutrition yeah. school funding right. uh, we didn't even get into yeah. military pay people in the right. united states military will not get their paychecks they claim on the republican side that they care about the military um that's what they would be cutting. And so Republicans are willing to be responsible for the members of the United States military who are already not getting promotions because of the Alabama Senator Tuberville. Now they can't yes. even get their checks. How are they going to explain that, Charlie? How is the, they're supposed to be so good at messaging. How do you message that? Well, again, this is a party that claims that it is pro-child, pro-family, <laughs> right? pro-military, pro-life, all of those things. And what are they doing as their opening gambit, as their opening bid? Let's slash all of those programs. And of course, the ads almost write themselves, which again, you know, we have yet to hear from the Republicans in the swing districts who have got to be going to Kevin McCarthy. OK, Kevin, we, we know the extent to which you are willing to, you know, to sell off, you know, various body parts to, to the Marjorie Taylor Greene. But do you understand what you are actually doing here? And I think the classic headline of the week was was uh, was Sahil's uh, headline, you know, Donald Trump breaks with Kevin McCarthy um, and, 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 and opts for shutting down the federal government. Because, I mean, you know, have we, haven't we seen this? movie before oh. where uh, Kevin McCarthy will, you know, you know, crawl on bended knee and pull his forelock. And what is what does Donald Trump do? He just sort of, you know, grinds his heel down and humiliates him some more. So this is kind of the once again, we're seeing the Kevin McCarthy humiliation Olympics <laughs> being played out. But unfortunately, the stakes are awfully high for a lot of Americans who yes. actually will be hurt by this. Absolutely. Let me play the, the person who now apparently is being, it ain't Marjorie Green anymore. It's the person who's being described by Cassidy Hutchinson in this clip in which she refutes a very odd claim by your House leader, Matt Gates. Matt Gates, in my opinion, is somebody that I personally do not hold in high regards 
in terms of trust. And I do not think that Matt Gates has the best track record for relationships and condoning condoning his relationships, how he thinks that they might be defined. I will say on behalf of myself, I never dated Matt Gates. I have much higher standards in men. And Matt, Matt, frankly, is a very unserious politician. Matt Gates of Florida, who hallucinated that he dated Cassidy Hutchinson, is in charge of whether the military will be paid, whether school lunches will be funded, and whether our government will be funded. He has until Saturday night, Matt Gates, to decide whether Kevin McCarthy will be allowed to do the job of speaker. That's where we are, America. Congratulations. Charlie Sykes, Sahil Kapoor, thank you both very much. Up next on The Readout, another major legal defeat for Donald Trump as a judge finds that he committed fraud by exaggerating his wealth and the value of his assets. I'm shocked. No, really, completely flabbergasted. The Readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. It is no surprise that Donald Trump continues to make the business claims that the Biden or make the baseless claims that the Biden administration is behind all of his many, 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 many legal woes and that he's being prosecuted for purely political reasons. It is a surprise, though, when Trump's legal team decides to use that as their defense in court, just as they are trying to do in their response to special counsel Jack Smith's motion for a partial gag order in the federal election interference case. The special counsel's office filed the order earlier this month, arguing that it's necessary given the threats against people that Trump has targeted in the case and the potential to intimidate jurors and others. In a 25-page filing, Trump's lawyers claim this is all just an attempt to silence President Biden's most prominent political opponent. And they say that no threat exists from the twice impeached, four times indicted former president. Quote, the prosecution does not and cannot explain how President Trump's statements would provoke any reasonable listener to lawlessness or otherwise fall within that small class of fighting words that are likely to provoke the average person to retaliation and thereby cause a breach of the peace. It will be Judge Tanya Chutkin who will be the one to decide this matter. And she has personally experienced the threats that followed Trump's attacks. The New York Times writes, one day after the former president wrote an online post in August saying, if you go after me, I'm coming after you. Judge Chutkin received a voicemail message in her chambers from a woman who threatened to kill her. That woman has since been arrested. Meanwhile, there was some breaking news late today in the civil fraud lawsuit brought by New York Attorney General Letitia James against Trump for inflating his assets to obtain favorable loans and insurance deals. New York judge ruled that Trump indeed committed fraud in overvaluing those assets. It is a major blow to Trump, who was asking the judge to throw the case out entirely. 
The trial is set. That trial is set to begin on Monday. So many trials, so little time. Good to me now. It's Temidayo Aganga-Williams, former senior investigative counsel to the January 6th Select Committee. Catherine Christian, former Manhattan assistant, Atter- assistant district attorney and MSNBC legal analyst. And David K. Johnston, Syracuse University law professor and author of The Big Cheat, How Donald Trump Fleeced America and Enriched Himself and His Family. Very appropriate title. Uh, Temidayo, I do want to go to you first, though. Let's. We're going to go in order. It's like <laughs> this man has so many cases and so many trials, it's hard to keep track of them. Let's start with... The claims. Um, Jack Smith is saying he Trump is claiming that there is no threat and that, in fact, it's special counsel Jack Smith who is has attacked Trump in an incendiary way. This is what Trump's legal filing says. Prosecutor Jack Smith held a press conference to deliver an incendiary attack on President Trump. He's not president more falsely claiming that he fueled an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. Here's what Jack Smith actually said. Let's take a listen. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6th, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. Lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government. Do they have any case there? Uh, Well, the words that Jack Smith is saying are based on what a grand jury has found by uh, has found probable cause, which is meaning more likely than not that the former president did exactly what Jack Smith just said. So I think the challenge for Judge Chutkin is how is she going to balance uh, Mr. Trump's First Amendment rights versus his position as a defendant in this case? I think he has a long, extensive history of saying inflammatory things. I mean, we saw it particularly after the election. From everything from the debate stage saying to the Proud Boys, you know, stand back and stand by. We saw how he set up the January 6th rally by telling folks, be there, we'll be wild. Yeah. We saw how his campaign sent fundraising emails day after day telling folks that there was going to be a fight, that there was a Trump army up until the Capitol itself was attacked. So the former president has a long and extensive history. I don't think Judge Chutkin is going to have any uh, shortcomings or any inability to find a basis to limit him. I think the question here for her is going to be, though, if she limits his speech and he violates that speech, what, do what do? does she do? Yeah. Because in a typical case, when I was a prosecutor, when, you know, you have times where defendants are threatening people on Facebook. Yeah. And the judge says anything like that. And the response is you go, you go to prison. jail, you go to jail, pretrial detention, which yeah. is what she would normally would do yeah. here. I think for a lot of reasons, that's not going to be as as easy of a, of a result. But I think most likely what you see here is that she's going to move that trial data forward. I mean, Judge Chutkin previewed this for us right at the beginning. Yeah. She said, you play with me. Exactly. Like, if you go down this route, yeah, I'm going to move this trial date. And I think if if a former president does what we all expect him to do, which I think is to push back and to not abide by the court's rulings, that March trial date might very well go back to the date that uh, special counsel Jack Smith requested, yeah. which is January. Yeah. And that's doable. And that's doable. And just just to do, you go after me, I'm coming after you. Suggesting Mark Milley should be killed for his actions as a joint chief chair attacking Judge Shutkin herself, attacking Jack Smith on and on. And I okay. will note that mm-hmm. for uh, Mark Milley, that's a potential witness in this very case. So that's an example right there where he's talking about executing someone who could be testifying at the very event at the heart of Jack Smith's case, which is exactly what Jack Smith is concerned about, threatening potential witnesses. Let's go to the New York case. There's so many. Let's go to the New York case. I want to come to you on this, Catherine. So explain to me, here is the case. I'm holding it in my hot little hand here. I started reading through it, but of course I am not a lawyer, so I would like you to explain. It seems that the, the summary of this is 
Trump wanted to get this thrown out. The judge said no and did some sort of summary judgment saying you did it. You did overvalue your assets. Is this case over? It's not over yet, but as a big, big victory for the New York State Attorney General, because the judge found that the Trump organization, Trump, his two adult sons have engaged in repeated fraudulent activity with the Trump organization business. So that ruling, he's been found liable. The trial will now be, did he did they falsify business records? Did they file false uh, financial statements? And did they uh, commit insurance fraud? So if he and he's a bench trial, so there's no jury. Right. So that judge will decide that. And the reason why Trump has been fighting this so long, because if he loses, he the, his his two adult sons, because Ivanka was moved out of it, right. are permanently barred from ever being an officer or director in a New York state corporation. And for five years, they're barred from getting any loans in New York state from any bank. So it's a big deal. It's He's not going to jail. It's yeah. not criminal, but it will affect his business. Alvin Bragg declined to take this exact, a very similar case mm-hmm. to trial on a criminal basis. If this, if he loses this, is he at risk of maybe Alvin Bragg going, you know what? Maybe I don't just care about the hush money. Maybe I care about this. Exactly. Now, the civil is preponderance of the evidence. Criminal is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So perhaps the Manhattan DA's office was looking to see the evidence here and see whether or not maybe we'll go for it. Yeah. So that investigation, apparently, for the Manhattan DA's office is still open. DA Bragg has said it's not closed. Yeah. So there is still time if he chooses to go to the grand jury. Uh, David K. Johnson, we woke you up. I know it's late at night where you are, but you decided to wake up for us because I, I needed to have somebody who knows this man, who knows Donald Trump and knows how he will react to that, particularly this Manhattan piece, because it looks like he's going to lose. Well, he has lost. And by the way, greetings from Berlin. <laughs> um, the, the, as Catherine said, the judges made it very clear there's no issue to try here about the standing of the attorney general to act and a number of other things. He also goes to town on Trump's lawyers for misstating the law, for clipping a quote in the law to change its meaning entirely. Uh, he proposes to fine Trump's lawyers for making a frivolous argument. And a frivolous argument made by a court officer, a lawyer, is the functional equivalent of the judge saying, you're no different than a drunk in a bar. You have no business being here making those arguments. They're not colorable law. Uh, so this is a very serious matter for for Trump. Uh, and the only real issues left are a couple about the paperwork and then uh, what are the damages. And the judge, as I read the 35-page decision, suggests that uh, it's likely that uh, Trump assets will be seized and uh, disposed of. Could they seize Trump Tower, the original one? Sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. And in fact, there's discussion about how Donald claimed that the uh, his apartment was 30,000 square feet when it's 10,000 square feet. And then he says, well, you know, that's just rounding. And the judge goes, no, it's not. In another case, Donald, uh, uh, the judge finds that uh, Donald valued asset in one case at four times the highest value of a comparable property, which may be a much better property than his apartment, uh, that is uh, overvalued it by a quarter, roughly a quarter of a billion dollars. That's just that apartment. And this is stuff Donald has been doing, Joy, his whole life. When he bought Mar-a-Lago, he announced he paid cash. I have the letter from Chase Bank promising not to record the mortgage that Trump took for 100% of the purchase price. And New York law requires all banks to publicly file all mortgages. 
Okay, we're out of time, but I'm going to go very quickly to my guests here at the table. If Donald Trump ends up getting his assets seized, how does that affect his other cases? Can he then say, I'm indigent, I I can't afford to defend myself? He could also say that, but he's going to get a public defender. And and I'm not sure that's going to be on brand for him. (laughs) Which would probably be, we'll do a great job, as opposed to his other Very true. And they won't lose their law license because they're not going to commit a crime. (laughs) Timmy Dio, Agonga Williams, Catherine Christian, David K. Johnson. Mind blown. Uh, thank you all very much. Still ahead, the most pro-union president in American history joins striking workers on the picket line as they push for pay increases. As CEO salaries just keep going up, 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 up. We'll be right back. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Today was one for the books, a truly extraordinary day for labor unions in America, with President Biden bidening out of control while visiting striking auto workers in Michigan, becoming the first president to join a picket line. Heard me say many times, Wall Street didn't build the country, the middle class built the country. The unions built the middle class. That's a fact. So let's keep going. You deserve what you've earned, and you've earned a hell of a lot more than you're getting paid now. Thank you very much. Biden's show of solidarity for workers striking against the big three auto companies coincides with Donald Trump's plan to woo working class voters at a non-union plant tomorrow. The stunt comes despite his administration's anti-worker record, which included record-shattering tax breaks for corporations, unfulfilled promises of booming automotive and steel jobs, and a fondness for putting billionaires and union busters in charge of federal agencies. Back in 2008, he even complained about having to take care of his own workers while making his stance on unions abundantly clear. We have Christmas bonus time, right? And we've done well. Now, I pay somebody a bonus 20 years ago. Then you give them a little more, a little more, a little more. Now it's 20 years later. All of a sudden I'm saying, I'm paying them too much. I'm paying them too much. It's the same thing with the unions. That's right. They get their little 5%. They get another 2%. They get another 3%, 4%. Then all of a sudden, they're making more money than the people that own the company. Wow. Joining me now is Robert Reich. Wow. Former labor secretary during the Clinton administration and a professor of public policy at UC Berkeley. Wow. I think Trump said it all there. That's what he thinks. Uh, What's the point of going and talking to workers, I guess, this week, uh, given that that's how he feels about workers? 
Well, he's obviously going there, uh, Joy, because he knows Michigan is a critical state in the upcoming presidential election. He also wants to court the blue-collar vote. He knows the blue-collar vote is, to some extent, up for grabs. Uh, but he wants to do it in a way that does not bring any attention at all to his union, his anti-union record. And I think that is extraordinary. I mean, Joe Biden is the first president in history, including Franklin D. Roosevelt yes. uh, to ever walk a picket line. And his words today were, I think, very significant. Can we put the video, the view up again, a VO again of, of Biden doing that? Because it is historic. I mean, we need to pause on this history, um, Mr. Reichert, because it, I think it's really important. Um, the fact that Biden showed up at that UAW picket line and said what he said, which is the, the you, you, there it is. You all built the, the work. You built the middle class. Unions built the middle class. And I just thought visually it was an important reminder that when we say working class, that is a multiracial class of people. It's women. It's men. It's Latinos. It's black folks. It's not just white you know, working class people. It's white, black, everybody. That is the working class. They don't talk. People don't talk about that enough. And they are struggling against CEOs that make 400 times what they make. What do you make of this moment? Uh, also struggling, Joy, against Wall Street. I yes. thought it was very interesting uh, that Joe Biden said, you know, Wall Street did not create the middle class. You, you union workers, you created the middle class in America. Uh, and that's critical because, you see, this is the first president in certainly my lifetime that has said, in effect, whose side are you on? I'm on the side of the working class. Uh, and that's something that uh, other presidents, even Democratic presidents, have been very reluctant to do. And and in the midst of a of a negotiation that's happening between the union and the workers. And, you know, everyone's been saying, don't get involved, Joe, don't get don't take a side. Did, did, did what he say today kind of take a side? Because he did see he's he is a working class guy himself. I mean, he's in their demographic uh, in taking a side. What do you think that does to the negotiations? Well, it, I, I hope it does advance the cause of workers in the negotiation. I mean, look, at the fact of the matter is most Americans are working people. Most yes. Americans, you know, uh, they're not unionized. Most Americans, they would like to be 65, 70 percent of Americans approve of labor unions. Uh, but when Americans get a raise, that helps everybody. That moves, the, you know, the, the level upward for everybody. Uh, this whole notion that we, we have to take sides. There is only one side in yes. America, and that is the side of working people trying to get ahead. Absolutely. And we've seen this with Starbucks workers. We've seen it with the writers and the actors in Hollywood. Most of them are not, not, not rich people. Let me play really quick just to remind people what Donald Trump said and what he promised working people um, when he was running for president. Take a listen. Don't move. Don't sell your house. Don't sell your house. Do not sell it. We're going to get those values up. We're going to get those jobs coming back and we're going to fill up those factories or rip them down and build brand new ones. That was actually when he was already president. That was in July of 2017. And you know what happened, uh, Robert Reich? Those plants that he was talking about in Lordstown, they closed. The GM plants closed. These are the Chevy Cruze plants, uh, and they closed exactly. anyway. So it, he, he exactly. lied to those people. Well, look at he, he promised everybody was going to get a $4,000 raise. Everybody yeah. in America, he gave a huge tax cut to big corporations and the rich. It never happened. There was never any trickle down. We know that his words mean nothing.
What what do we do about the fact that we do have CEOs that used to make 40 times what their workers make now making two, three, four hundred times what their workers make? And the fact that they are much more focused on shareholder value than increasing wages. They're working four days a week, but say you can't. You got to work five. What, What do we do about this disparity? Well, we support workers. We support them with labor unions. We make labor unions stronger. Uh, we support the UAW when it wants a 40% raise, when the CEOs and most executives under the CEOs have also gotten a 40% raise over the last five years. Uh, so that's what we do. It's called countervailing power, countervailing the power of big corporations, CEOs, all the stock buybacks to Wall Street. It's countervailing power that enables working people to do better. That's what Joe Biden was on the picket line today supporting. You know what? Nobody's going to get rich unless there are workers there to do the actual job. All those people are rich because of the workers who work for them, and they don't appreciate them nearly enough. Robert Reich, thank you very much. And coming up, thank thank you, Senator John Fetterman joins me to talk about his unique and proven ability to tell it like it is on all things. Basically, the shenanigans going on on the other side of the aisle. That's next. this news that uh, Speaker McCarthy has formally launched an impeachment inquiry. Has said he's going to... Oh my God, really? Oh my gosh. You know, oh, it's devastating. (laughs) Don't do it. They're just like, oh my God, you know, dogs and cats are living together and, you know, like I said, aren't there more important things we should be talking about rather than if, if I dress like a slob? Whether it's the sham impeachment inquiry into President Biden or the pearl clutching over the Senate dress code, no one has done a better job at calling Republicans out on their nonsense than Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman. He has brilliantly dunked on the hypocrisy of everyone from Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lorna Boebert to Ron DeSantis, even playing into the right's vitriol over his casual attire by vowing to wear a suit if House Republicans manage to avert a government shutdown. And now Senator Fetterman is also calling out a member of his own party, New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez, who is facing federal charges for allegedly taking hundreds of thousands of dollars, as well as gold bars, in bribes. Fetterman was the first senator to call on his Democratic colleague to resign. And today, more than a dozen other senators have followed suit, including New Jersey's junior senator, Cory Booker. And Senator Fetterman joins me now, Democratic Senator John Fetterman of Pennsylvania. Uh, Senator, thank you so much for being here. Uh, And I guess the first question would be why you were first out of the box to call upon Senator Menendez to resign. And are you surprised it took so long for so many of your colleagues to follow? Uh, honestly, I I was uh, actually surprised that I was the first one. I mean, it's so black and white. I mean, it's so clear. The last times there's ever been a man with so much cash in their home in New Jersey was uh, Tony Soprano. You know, I, <laughs> I mean, it, it's not a it's not a it's not a close call. And if you were looking for the most incriminating kinds of evidence, it, nobody could even come up with gold bars in a mattress. Um, so, uh, and again, he, he's entitled to have his day in, in court, but he does not entitled to, to, to remain in the, the Senate and he needs to go. 
You know, uh, you know, a lot of people think about the, the the quickness with which many senators, including Democrats, went after Al Franken, Senator Al Franken, at a time when they really needed uh, his votes. He was the 60th vote uh, that got us uh, Obamacare to pass in the United States Senate. But there were people who were quite uh, a lot of moral rectitude when it came to him. Um, have some of those senators have not called on uh, M Senator Menendez to resign? I wonder if some of the more, I should say, uh, sanctimonious senators um, that we've heard from on things like Senator Franken or on other issues have come forward. I think about Kristen Sinema. Uh, we haven't seen her say much. We haven't seen Joe Manchin say much. Um, have you heard from any of those senators what they think of all of this? Uh, obviously, I don't speak for anyone else in, in the Senate or myself, but what I can say is, is that, you know, he has to go. And New Jersey is a safe blue seat, and they have a governor ready to uh, to appoint somebody that's ready to step in and make the kind of votes that it needs to to do. And again, it's never been about him. Him. It's about the Senate and the integrity. And he's he needs to go. You know, you've been the subject of a lot of right wing freakouts, uh, your casual dress code, which, again, there are people like Senator Sinema who dresses, you know, very, you know, in her very own unique way. And no one's really said anything about it. Why do you think people are so fixated on you? I, I really, I really don't. As, as I've said before, you know, Ted Cruz could show up dressed like Spider-Man and I would be OK with that. Uh, I do think we have more important kinds of things to be worrying about, you know, whether it's gold bars in a mattress or whether it's the, the shutdown or the impeachment or anything. Don't be surprised if Spider-Man calls you quite offended at being compared to Ted Cruz. But I'm going to leave that for another interview. Um, let, let's let, let's talk about one of the most important issues that we have to deal with, and that is the potential that our government could shut down. I mean, that's going to hurt a lot of Pennsylvanians. It's going to hurt a lot of Americans. Uh, I don't think people understand just how deep uh, those cuts will cut, you know, and people are going to be harmed. What do you make of the fact that the Senate is now in a position of trying to salvage funding the government by passing, what, a 24-day or a 40 day workaround, meaning that the world is watching us fund our government potentially 24, 25 days at a time. You know, there's not one single senator in the Senate that wants this. And on their side in the, in the House, this is petty chaos by diminished men. And, you know, the last time they did this kind of thing, you know, it resulted in another credit downgrade. And we need to get to the point where it's like if they want to be this stupid to do this again, they're going to pay it, you know, in 24. Has Mitch McConnell. The, 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 I'm sorry, the really ones that's really going to pay are all the millions of Americans that that rely on all these kinds of things. There's absolutely nothing to gain. And like I said, it's just it's just petty chaos by diminished men. And I wonder if, I mean, I, don't, I know you're not necessarily privy to what they're doing in the other caucus, but Mitch McConnell seems that he's been very passive. In It's his caucus. It's the Republicans. It's and the Republicans in the House. Have you heard any energy from the Republican side in the Senate? You know, are they calling the other, uh, the gang in, uh, in McCarthy's wing and saying, you guys get this together? Uh, yeah, I, I, again, uh, you know, the, the minority leader and everybody has, has always supports this. This is this is silly. This is silly and it needs to happen. It benefits nobody. In fact, McConnell leader actually said it's a loser for Republicans every time they've done it before. I, I just I just don't understand what's behind this.
Given where the state that you come from that's got a lot of blue-collar workers, um, I wonder what you made of President Biden walking that UAW line today um, and being with those workers and his comments, which are pretty blunt, saying that they deserve to make more money. They deserve to be paid more than they are. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I was there. I was there and it was awesome. You know, these are incredible men and women there. And I actually drove there from Pennsylvania in the kind of Bronco that they actually built. And, you know, this is a pro-union president like we've, we can ever seen. And, of course, he was going to be there. He belongs there. And, you know, just the way the, the, the writers' unions uh, won, you know, that needs to happen for the, the uh, UAW. And I believe it will. Uh, and I, I hate to ask you this, uh, but, you know, you're here and I feel like it's my one opportunity to ask you about this. Apparently, there is a huge conspiracy theory that I might not have just had a conversation with you, that this might be the body double. Am I talking to you, my friend, uh, Senator, or am I talking to the body double? Hey, is he here? Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, you know, in fact, he was supposed to show up um, and really address that, but he hasn't arrived here yet, unfortunately. And see, that's you exactly know, what I'm... <laughs> That's just what a body double would say, man. I mean, you know, I mean, that's just what a body double would say. <laughs> and, and, and again, if I had a body like this, I would sure want a better uh, double one of it. <laughs> Senator John Fetterman, uh, thank you for being here. Much appreciated. <laughs> okay. We'll, be, we'll be right back. We'll be right back. <laughs> Before we go, I want to clarify a conversation we had earlier in the show about the fight over the government shutdown. We quoted the Democratic whip, Catherine Clark, from an interview she gave to Politico in which she was asked what Democrats would want in exchange for helping Kevin McCarthy on a spending bill. She said, quote, we want him to live up to the agreement that he made with President Biden. We want to get disaster aid out. We want to continue our support for Ukraine. And we want them to end this sham of an impeachment inquiry. She wasn't referring to an effort to save McCarthy's job. Clark later said the only person concerned about Kevin McCarthy keeping his job is Kevin McCarthy. House Democrats are having one conversation how to deliver for the American people. That means preventing a reckless shutdown and stopping devastating cuts to the programs they rely on. And that is tonight's readout. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.